This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Servile State by Hilaire Belloc. Section 4. Section 2. Our Civilization Was Originally Servile. In no matter what field of the European past we make our research, we find from two thousand years ago upwards one fundamental institution whereupon the whole of society reposes. That fundamental institution is slavery. There is no distinction here between the highly civilized city-state of the Mediterranean with its letters, its plastic art, and its code of laws, with all that makes civilization, and this stretching back far beyond any surviving record, where is here no distinction between that civilized body and the northern and western societies of the Celtic tribes or of the little-known hordes that wandered in the Germanics indifferently reposed upon slavery. It was a fundamental conception of society. It was everywhere present, nowhere disputed. There is a distinction, or would appear to be, between Europeans and Asiatics in this matter. The religion and morals of the one so differed in their very origin from those of the other, that every social institution was touched by the contrast, and slavery among the rest. But with that we need not concern ourselves. My point is that our European ancestry, those men from whom we are descended and whose blood runs with little admixture in our veins, took slavery for granted, made of it the economic pivot upon which the production of wealth should turn, and never doubted but that it was normal to all human society. It is a matter of capital importance to seize this. An arrangement of such a sort would not have endured without intermission and indeed without question for many centuries, nor have been found emerging fully grown from that vast space of unrecorded time during which barbarism and civilization flourished side by side in Europe, had there not been something in it, good or evil, native to our blood. There was no question in those ancient societies from which we spring of making subject races into slaves by the might of conquering races. All that is the guesswork of the universities. Not only is there no proof of it, rather all the existing proof is the other way. The Greek had a Greek slave, the Latin a Latin slave, the German a German slave, the Celt a Celtic slave. The theory that superior races invaded a land, either drove out the original inhabitants or reduced them to slavery, is one which has no argument either from our present knowledge of man's mind or from recorded evidence. Indeed, the most striking feature of that servile basis upon which paganism reposed was the human equality recognized between master and slave. The master might kill the slave, but both were of one race, and each was human to the other. This spiritual value was not, as a further pernicious piece of guesswork would dream, a growth or a progress. The doctrine of human equality was inherent in the very stuff of antiquity, as it is inherent in those societies which have not lost tradition. 
we may presume that the barbarian of the north would grasp the great truth with less facility than the civilized man of the mediterranean because barbarism everywhere shows a retrogression in intellectual power but the proof that the servile institution was a social arrangement rather than a distinction of type is patent from the coincidence everywhere of emancipation with slavery pagan europe not only thought the existence of slaves a natural necessity to society but equally thought that upon giving a slave his freedom the enfranchised man would naturally step through perhaps after the interval of some lineage into the ranks of free society great poets and great artists statesmen and soldiers were little troubled by the memory of a servile ancestry on the other hand there was a perpetual recruitment of the servile institution just as there was a perpetual emancipation from it proceeding year after year and the natural or normal method of recruitment is most clearly apparent to us in the simple and barbaric societies which the observation of contemporary civilized pagans enables us to judge it was poverty that made the slave prisoners of war taken in set combat afforded one mode of recruitment and there was also the raiding of men by pirates in the outer lands and the selling of them in the slave markets of the south but at once the cause of the recruitment and the permanent support of the institution of slavery was the indigence of the man who sold himself into slavery or was born into it for it was a rule of pagan slavery that the slave bred the slave and that even if one of the parents were free the offspring was a slave the society of antiquity therefore was normally divided as must at last be society of any servile state into clearly marked sections there was upon the one hand the citizen who had a voice in the conduct of the state who would often labor but labor of his own free will and who was normally possessed of property upon the other hand there was a mass dispossessed of the means of production and compelled by positive law to labor at command it is true that in the further developments of society the accumulation of private savings by a slave was tolerated and that slaves so favored did sometimes purchase their freedom it is a further truth that in the confusion of the last generations of paganism there arose in some of the great cities a considerable class of men who though free were dispossessed of the means of production but these last never existed in a sufficient proportion to stamp the whole state of society with a character drawn from their proletarian circumstance to the end the pagan world remained a world of free proprietors possessed in various degrees of the land and of the capital whereby wealth may be produced and applying to that land and capital for the purpose of producing wealth compulsory labor certain features in that original servile state from which we all spring should be carefully noted by way of conclusion first though all nowadays contrast slavery with freedom to the advantage of the latter yet men then accepted slavery freely as an alternative to indigence secondly and this is most important for our judgment of the servile institution as a whole and of the chances of its return in all those centuries we find no organized effort nor what is still more significant do we find any complaint of conscience 
against the institution which condemned the bulk of human beings to forced labor. Slaves may be found in the literary exercises of the time, bewailing their lot and joking about it. Some philosophers will complain that an ideal society should contain no slaves. Others will excuse the establishment of slavery upon this plea or that, while granting that it offends the dignity of man. The greater part will argue, of the state, that it is necessarily servile. But no one, slave or free, dreams of abolishing or even of changing the thing. You have no martyrs for the case of freedom as against slavery. The so-called servile wars are the resistance on the part of escaped slaves to any attempt at recapture, but they are not accompanied by an accepted affirmation that servitude is an intolerable thing, nor is that note struck at all from the unknown beginnings to the Catholic endings of the pagan world. Slavery is irksome, undignified, woeful, but it is to them of the nature of things. You may say, to be brief, that this arrangement of society was the very air which the pagan antiquity breathed. Its great works, its leisure, and its domestic life, its humor, its reserves of power, all depended upon the fact that its society was that of the servile state. Men were happy in that arrangement, or at least as happy as men ever are. The attempt to escape by a personal effort, whether of thrift, of adventure, or of flattery to a master, from the servile condition, had never even so much of driving power behind it as the attempt many show today to escape from the rank of wage-earners to those of employers. Servitude did not seem a hell into which man would rather die than sink, or out of which, at any sacrifice whatsoever, a man would raise himself. It was a condition accepted by those who suffered it as much as by those who enjoyed it, and a perfectly necessary part of all that men did and thought. You find no barbarism from some free place astonished at the institution of slavery. You find no slave pointing to a society in which slavery was unknown as towards a happier land. To our ancestors, not only for those few centuries during which we have a record of their actions, but apparently during an illimitable past, the division of society into those who must work under compulsion and those who would benefit by their labor was the very plan of the state, apart from which they could hardly think of society as existing at all. Let all this be clearly grasped. It is fundamental to an understanding of the problem before us. Slavery is no novel experience in the history of Europe, nor is one suffering an odd dream when one talks of slavery as acceptable to European men. Slavery was of the very stuff of Europe for thousands upon thousands of years, until Europe engaged upon that considerable moral experiment called the faith, which many believe to be now accomplished and discarded, and in the failure of which it would seem that the old and primary institution of slavery must return. For there came upon us Europeans, after all those centuries and centuries of settled social order, which was erected upon slavery as upon a sure foundation, 
the experiment called the Christian Church. Among the by-products of this experiment, very slowly emerging from the old pagan world, and not long completed before Christendom itself suffered a shipwreck, was the exceedingly gradual transformation of the servile state into something other, a society of owners. And how that something other did proceed from the pagan servile state, I will next explain. Section 3. How the Servile Institution Was for a Time Dissolved the process by which slavery disappeared among Christian men, though very lengthy in its development, it covered close upon a thousand years, and though exceedingly complicated in its detail, may be easily and briefly grasped in its main lines. Let it first be clearly understood that the vast revolution through which the European mind passed between the first and fourth centuries, that revolution which is often termed the conversion of the world to Christianity, but which should for purposes of historical accuracy be called the growth of the church, included no attack upon the servile institution. No dogma of the church pronounced slavery to be immoral, or the sale and purchase of men to be a sin, or the imposition of compulsory labor upon a Christian to be a contravention of any human right. The emancipation of slaves was indeed regarded as a good work by the faithful, but so was it regarded by the pagan. It was, on the face of it, a service rendered to one's fellow men. The sale of Christians to pagan masters was abhorrent to the latter empire of the barbarian invasions, not because slavery in itself was condemned, but because it was a sort of treason to civilization to force men away from civilization to barbarism. In general you will discover no pronouncement against slavery as an institution nor any moral definition attacking it throughout all those early Christian centuries, during which it nonetheless effectively disappears. The form of its disappearance is well worth noting. It begins with the establishment, as the fundamental unit of production in Western Europe, of those great landed estates commonly lying in the hands of a single proprietor and generally known as Ville. There were, of course, many other forms of human agglomeration, small peasant farms owned in absolute proprietorship by their petty masters, groups of free men associated in what was called a vicus manufactories, in which groups of slaves were industrially organized to the profit of their master, and governing the regions around them the scheme of Roman towns. But of all these, the ville was the dominating type and as society passed from the high civilization of the first four centuries into the simplicity of the Dark Ages, the villa, the unit of agricultural production, became more and more the model of all society. Now the villa began as a considerable extent of land containing, like a modern English estate, pasture, arable water, wood, and heath, or wasteland, it was owned by an absolute proprietorship to sell or leave by will to do with it whatever he chose. It was cultivated for him by slaves, to whom he owed nothing in return, and whom it was simply his interest to keep alive and to continue breeding in order that they might perpetuate his wealth. The End of Section 4